1: And welcome to Indie Game Business. It is just myself and Pebs, our wonderful community manager, running everything on the back end today because Dan is dodging lightning storms down in Florida. So we're hoping everything's fine down there, but he's just dealing with a bunch of storms. So today we've got Chris Byatt, a uh, longtime industry veteran and currently running Splice, And we're going to be talking about bringing the fun back into game development. So, Chris, welcome to the show. And let's start with, tell us how you originally got in the industry and walk us through your, your
2: decades-long career to where you got now. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, thank you, Jay. So where, where do I start? I, I guess if I rewind all the way back, um, you know, I've always been interested in games. Uh, I guess without knowing it, my journey started with home computers. So the, the eight bits, like the ZX81, the, uh, Sinclair Spectrum, uh, if you remember the Amiga A500, it was a time when really, um, you know, things like Tron and ET first hit the screens. So very early eighties. And that really seems like a, a golden period. And I think right now there's a huge amount of, uh, nostalgia for that kind of world. So I'd be busy, um, you know, dreaming of really making my own games, and spending most of my money down at the arcades, soaking up the latest titles like Gorf, Battlezone, Galaxian, etc., and I would create my own, in a way, pixel characters of uh, um, you know computer graphics on graph paper, bringing to life all kinds of crazy ideas. I used to tell everyone that I was going to make a game, and of course, you know, at that time I was only twelve years old, and people thought, <laughs> "Quite right, are you, are you crazy? What are you talking about?" But I guess, you know, th- things take a while to, to gestate and for the universe to coordinate things and, um, you know, fast forward to 2002, that's really when my gaming career started. And so with my uh, co-founder, uh, Joe Wee, we decided to, to start our own company called Click Gamer to develop really our first game. So we were an indie developer back then in 2002. And this was a simple match three puzzler. It was a time when Palm Pilot was huge. Games like Bejeweled were being launched. Very, you could say, naively, we assumed that we'd we'd make a million dollars that year. And of course, you know, it just simply wasn't that easy. So we made a second game, but still, it was linear progress. We needed something more, and that's really when we hit upon the idea: why why don't we just sell other people's games? You know, we we knew how to make them, but it it wasn't really making enough money. We we'd not really got the uh, secret formula yet for that hit game. So I started building really what was a sort of iTunes Connect, but for any make and model of phone. And this was a full self-service system on the web for developers. I think around 2004, 2005, we launched it. So developers, they could sign up, they could sign the contract, they could upload their own own content, um, their own binaries, and specify what, what game works for what phone. And from that point, genuinely the, the hockey stick growth started to appear. And each day new developers would sign up and they would add new handsets and upload their binaries and, and things really happened quite quickly. And I, I can say it's from experience selling our our you know th- those early games where games were really full price. So 14 95 was a normal price for a game. So customers would come to our site, they would buy the game, they would sideload it via USB into their device. So these were really early adopters, uh, you know, the early days of of gaming, so to speak. So uh, fast forward to 2007, uh, Steve Jobs was announcing the iPhone. and We knew that this was a holy grail, at last something that was revolutionary. You know, it didn't just have a bunch of like keys, you could dial a number, the whole screens could be used and we knew this was something special. And so with the Apple SDK on the horizon, we decided to really pivot everything and renamed the company to be Chilingo, which really turned into the first, probably the first iPhone publisher. Uh, so, it's really what, what we did. We called our best developers and we asked them to, you know, could, could they port their games to iPhone? And we offered to publish it in exchange for a minimum guarantee, an MG. And this really was the start of a gold rush. We already had the intel of which games were selling the most from our relationships with, with these developers. The developers trusted us and we'd been cutting checks to them each month for several years. I think at that time we had maybe 600-700 developers on our books and most of them i never even met. So you know this is a long time ago but this is uh, genuinely what happened. So I, I spent the next few weeks reaching out to developers, I think I slept in the office pretty much for days on end, talking to them on the phone. Wherever they were we decided to fly out to events like GDC in San Francisco we had so many meetings, so we were busy, really, you know, concentrating all of our all of our efforts onto iPhone and really publishing those games. And in the end, we had something like twelve or thirteen number one hits. Those included Angry Birds, uh, Cut the Rope, and, and that's when Electronic Arts decided to acquire us. So yeah, in in, in a nutshell, there's a lot more detail, uh, but that that's a condensed history of of how I got here. So.
1: Tell us what you're doing now because you've moved a little bit away from games directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, sorry, Ash, I overrode you there. Uh, <laughs> you've moved a little bit away from games directly, but now so now you're working on Splice. So, tell us a little bit about what that is and how it factors in, and what yeah. you're doing
2: there. Okay, so yes, we've been working on uh, Splice, as you can see the logos behind me. So, what 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 is Splice? It's a social network for gamers. Okay, so think of a mashup between, say, Discord, Reddit, Twitter, and, of all things, Google Maps. Now, why, why did we choose those things? Well, the Discord, it, it's good for organizing things. So we took the element for the spaces. You can quickly jump in and out of spaces, out of topics, etc. Really, Discord called it servers. Uh, uh, Reddit it has got the concept of posts, and that works well, but not so much chat. That's what Discord is big for. Twitter. So we took the element of having a feed that everyone knows. But I want to be clear: it's in no way driven by algorithms by AI. So there's no on Space. There's no echo chambers. So when you join Space, if you follow a public space or if you follow someone, you get all of those posts mixed up in your feed. So really, you just see exactly what you want, and you can you can leave any space you, any anytime you want to. And that's, you know, basically your, your, your feed reconfigures itself. So you just get what you ask for. It, it's not a circular echo chamber, as I was saying before. So why, why Google Maps? Well, really, because we, we have this idea to essentially geolocate uh, any post or any media, either onto the real world or onto a gaming world. So there might be a space for, say, uh, Formula One. And of course, you can see all the posts all over the world, so geolocated. You can see that inside the platform. Or there might be a space for uh, famous games, a community space for Elden Ring or, or uh, Fortnite or any other kind of game, any indie game. Now, this is really well-suited for a persistent world gaming map because then users can geolocate their posts exactly at the position that it happens. So I think that's something that's you know, really unique within Splice. So effectively from the ground up, I mean, you might call this crazy. We try to imagine what would make the ultimate social platform if we started again. So we're bringing in lots of cool features, uh, but in, in a nutshell, that that's what Splice does.
1: All I- right. But this also integrates into games as well. Because I know when you and I talked several weeks ago, that was like mm-hmm. one of the first things I was like, oh my God, I can put notes in like a Skyrim map or something. So explain a little bit about how that goes from just real world geolocation to games.
2: Yeah, so we, we've taken, essentially if you look online, like IGN guys, there, there are thousands and thousands of blog posts that talk about game guides, how to defeat a boss, how to progress? How to discover something? How to level up? You know where, where to find the next treasure or the dragon or whatever. We're, we're taking the, those same uh, uh, game tile set maps and al- allowing uh, users, with full attribution to the developer uh, and slash publisher, we're allowing users to geolocate uh, any post onto these game tile maps. Now, in future, we can talk about this uh, in, in a while if you wish. We're building a Splice SDK that allows deep integration. So a developer that has built their game on, on Unreal or Unity can easily create augmented maps where there's real-time data from their game appearing on top of their maps within Splice. So you could, you could have a glance and, and realize that, ah, I, I'm on the bus, I, 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 I'm going home, but I can see my guild, my friends in real time. I can see what they're doing within the gaming world. So that's our ultimate vision force place is having this SDK and that's something that we're working upon. So that that's what I call deep integration.
1: All right. So the big question, as always, how do things like this help indie games in particular? And is it something that is going to apply more to mobile or console or PC? But the big thing is, hmm. how does this help indie? What, what is the big part for, for indie teams?
2: Okay. Well, we, we found when, because I, again, we were an indie developer, we turned into effectively an indie publisher that really blew up. And then we were talking to hundreds, if not thousands of indie studios. So really day on day, my job would be filtering through content, deciding what to publish and having hundreds of games of tennis, multiple conversations in terms of like uh, uh, with indies, separate indies, polishing their games, trying to help them to, to edge their games forwards. So that's what I did all the time. Um, and basically, to answer your question, what, once a game was signed, is you know h- how do we make it successful? And really, the secret sauce to making a game successful is harnessing a community. So really, with, with Splice, we've created something that we always wanted back in our days of Chillingo, whereby how can we harness community? How can we create one single destination where we could post all the game updates? We could gather feedback from users. You know, we we can chat. We can do. We can do everything we want to do. And, and harness it inside one space, and really, that we almost, in a way, I, I sort of built it for ourselves. But I'm pretty sure it will apply to any indie developer, uh, publisher, game studio, uh, you know, game service company, etc. I mean, see it as like a, a community in a box. So a developer can, can set up a public space for their game or studio. They can just go to space.world and create it now. So they can have a fully brandable uh gaming space that w- once it's live and it can be live within 24 hours they can have their own structure their own graphics they can have about us game features trailers they can post into there and then let let the community engage with it so it's, it's almost i have this vision of I, I i don't think gamers have a true spiritual home it's very fragmented across many platforms so i'm trying to unify that under one one destination, one almost town hall, at a glance, you can see what's going on and where it's going on inside your game. So, bouncing back to Chillingo
1: really quick. Yes. Well, maybe not really quick. We're going to find out in a second. But you are, I mean, you're humble about it, but you are one of the forerunners here of mobile game publishing. I mean, Chillingo... Mm -hmm was a force to be reckoned with back in the day. I mean, I yeah. remember, because we would be submitting our clients' you know, titles over there to see if they Oh, were wow, interested.
2: great, oh, th- th- thank you. I didn't realize that, thank you, Jay.
1: Yeah. So over the years, how have you seen mobile publishing change from you know back in the early, the mid-2000s mm-hmm. up to where we are? Because I didn't realize it until you mentioned it, but yeah, we're looking at like 20 years of mobile game games now. Yeah. Um, yeah. How have you seen that market change?
2: Okay, so if, if I rewind time, genuinely, I would say that we were dealing with very small studios that were comprised of maybe just one person. And that one person might have an amazing physics engine, but actually the rest of the game, the way it looked, the level design, there was nothing to it. No music, no sound effects, no UI, no, no tutorial. And so in those early days, it was truly, truly indie. And, and and really, it wasn't just you know back bedroom developers. We we had small studios too, but as you as you move the clock forward through the years, that turned into bigger studios. And the, those single developers, if if they didn't get a hit, they had to join forces with the bigger bigger studios and work for them. So you know the uh, well, the, there are many larger studios across the world. So it, it, you sort of see this consolidation, and then working up the up the chain, the pyramid. I mean now. Games are really uh, uh, successful games are usually a service. they run as a service. you know they have they have a, a lot of teams. it's like an iceberg, you just see the game, but underneath there's a there's a huge analytics dashboard and a whole cloud infrastructure that's delivering modifications to the game in real time, A B testing, split testing, you know cohorts. People talk about you know data engineers it was never really a thing, but now it is looking at DAUs, MAUs. It, it, it's all about the data. You could say, okay, it's taking the fun out of the game, and you know that, that's really what I'm about. I'm I'm a little bit against it because I think it, you can take it to the nth degree, but at the same time, it does have its place. It doesn't it doesn't mean that the game is bad, but what my my heart lies lies in the true indie situation of you know one or two people, small studios, trying to get a game out. You know, that, that's where my passion lies, because they don't have access to all this stuff. So I'm hoping that place will, 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 will fit in with that. And, and I think there's also a role for, you know, we, we don't want a, a, a world that's just freemium. I, most people are quite happy to pay, you know, for a good game that's been made with, 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 with dedication and, and, and brilliance. I'm quite prepared to pay $5, $10, you know, without any kind of nag, nag screens, without any kind of upgrades. And and I think actually that there's a wave of those games coming back into the app store, which I think is a great thing. But to answer your question precisely over time has been massive consolidation. It's moved towards the biggest studios, uh, large corporations and data. You know, that, that, that is the the sad truth of it.
1: So, I mean, do you think there, there is a spot for indie teams in mobile these days?
2: Without doubt, without doubt, because you will A big corporation can never compete against the creativity of the world put it that way because creativity is is there for everyone and some people are hyper creative all it takes is one amazing coder to create a physics engine one amazing artist to make an amazing looking UI and skin And, and then you find that these teams this is where I get really excited these teams if they can find each other they can consolidate you know, you've got this amazing coder with this amazing artist and a musician. And those three people alone can make, you know, the next Contre the next, uh, the next uh, Cut the Rope, etc. You know, Cut the Rope sight out just two, two, two brothers in a bedroom. You know, that, that's how it started. So, you know, amazing things are possible, but it's about bringing the talent together.
1: And, and something I saw just yesterday, and it's not like this is new, but it's good that I'm seeing it, it pick up momentum. So mm-hmm. there's a game coming out called uh, Moonstone Island. Uh, our friends over at Ralph Fury are publishing it. But they had a, a note on whatever little ad I saw that they've done a collaboration with Terraria. And so they're going to cool. have characters going back and forth. And so we've seen a couple of those. There's some fighting games that do that as well. But I mean, that gets back into your collaboration thing. It doesn't necessarily always have to be everybody on the same studio. It's about working together with other studios to try to boost that stuff as well.
2: Yeah, it, 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 exactly. And we, we did have a few games back in 2009 where they were cross-pollinating the, the characters just in the same way that you're talking about. And obviously that's a very long time ago. But you know what? That went down really well with the audience because people are, you know, surprised and pleased that, that, that this kind of collaboration is happening. So I think what's really great in, in the indie community and, and actually in your organization, you know, the whole indie games business is that people are prepared to be, like, you know, to competitive, competitively collaborate, which I think yeah. is really healthy. It's, you know, people are prepared to help each other. But at the same time, they're striving Obviously, for a a hit themselves, because it's all about persistence. If you don't make money, you could go under. And that's completely reasonable. But there's such an an amazing uh, sense of goodwill still in the indie community. And it's really nice to be back in touch with that. That, I mean, that's been my concern for several years that because
1: you know indie i mean mobile games in general have turned basically into spreadsheet factories and yeah. I, I remember the first time i was at gdc and i asked somebody what they did because i'm a data scientist and i went you're a what that's yes is that yeah. a thing now a thing. <laughs> but you know the concern is that they just get overwhelmed by so much of these analytics platforms and all this other stuff, because we have those companies come to us on the consulting side and say, hey, can you help us reach these developers? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely can. But unless you teach these developers what they're going to use this for and how to do it, it's not going to do you a bit of good. And so it's good that you're seeing a bit of that indie game. And I'm, I'm with you. I am totally up for paying flat out on a mobile game if it's good it's good to see that that's starting to get a bit of a resurgence, because it's the more platforms you can work on, the more money you can potentially make. Exactly. So when we're looking at the mobile space in general, and now of course, you know, you're looking at, you know, PC and console too, with Mm place, what are some of the ways that you see teams can effectively bring together all these platforms? And you know, create one community for all of it instead of having everything splintered like it traditionally has been.
2: Uh, to be clear, can I can I reference place again, or is that out yeah, of bounds?
1: You're fine. Don't worry about it. You're okay.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, uh, exactly as I said before. You know, it, this huge fragment fragmentation in terms of like you know, streamings on 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 Twitch, etc. And you know, posts and comments everywhere else. So really what we're trying to do is, I, I, I'm not in any way like getting ahead of myself, trying to say, look, Splice is gonna compete with uh, Discord and replace it. No, I'm not. Currently we don't have chat, but we can easily add that in future if the community wants it. But what what I do see Splice is doing is being like a, a, a unified hub to, to uh, number one, to create organization. So, you know, there's, there's massive fragmentation on, on Reddit. We've talked about that. On, whereas on Splice, you could add if you were, say, creating a Formula One game. You, you could add a place for uh, racing drivers, another one for venues, another one for engines, and it all lives within your space, which again is fully brandable. So it has a great look and feel. So I think as as a user, you know, you, you you're not you're not scared away by you know technical terms like you know setting up a server or creating a. Uh, a, a Discord this or or, or whatever—it's really accessible terms that we're using, and the whole UI look and feel is bright, is cheerful. It, it looks fantastic, so I, I think you know that alone makes it a special uh, destination, and it, and it's quite easy for people to if they have a YouTube video or or a or a, a a post on Reddit, they can easily put that inside Splice. So you can click it, you can jump out to a window, you can read it, you can close it again. So again, it's it's having like a a unified town hall, like a hub, an initial destination to land on to go. Ah, what's happening inside my gaming world today? And it, and it feels natural, it feels comfortable, and we're avoiding all that kind of toxic stuff that's uh, that's happening in, in 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 social media these days. Um, you know, we we've all we've all read about it, and it, I think people are tired of it. They want to go back to the glory days of well, a lot of people do of like MySpace, which is really talked about oh it for like a, a golden age of uh,
1: social media. <laughs> Midi music and unicorns. That's all. That's my memory from yes, my space Yes, was, That's it. That's it. Everybody had cute little cat graphics and their favorite song playing in the background. The So the toxicity is an issue. And, and we see this, and this mm-hmm. is why, you know, centralized things. And I think that's part of the reason like things like Linktree are so Yes, because you can get it all together. We're seeing Twitter implode, you know, slowly, but still imploding. And now Reddit's facing a lot of the very same issues with the war between the moderators and the CEO that's that's ongoing. How should or how can developers in general do they just need to go and be on all these platforms? Because if you go in and you invest a ton of time and a ton of money into, you know, building a presence on Twitter or building one on Reddit and then something happens and all that stuff implodes, how do you deal with that as a small company?
2: Yeah, there is that. And of course, you know, resources, as you say, are are tight in small teams. So you need to pick your battles. But, you know, if I was setting up a gaming company now and I had a new gaming release, then number one, I would immediately create a, a Twitter profile for sure because it's a huge audience. Yes, you might get some, you know, toxic posts, etc. But overall, you probably, if you're going to grow it right, and, and post some meaningful stuff, you're going to get some great interaction, and you're going to get some great discovery as well. Uh, Reddit, you know, yeah, it's, it's definitely it's a harsher environment, but some people want to want to join in there. So. A lot of it, what we did before was, you know, engaging with uh, influencers. And obviously, they they exist across the whole spectrum of platforms. And if you really want to get in with a, you know, a a gaming editor, an influencer with a reach of 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 or more, then invariably, you have to make inroads into these platforms. So I would say, to answer your question, it's pretty much unavoidable. I'm just trying, look, try, try, try this new platform. Yes, it's early days, but there's, there's so many incentives that we can bring, you know, so much new stuff uh, that hasn't been seen before. So you know, again, I'm not getting ahead of myself, but I think there's something unique here.
0: You've got to check out our discord at discord.gg indie game business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors. So, so many, so many. It's a safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games, or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck finding a publisher and more. Remember, it's discord.gg slash indie game business.
1: So when you talk about bringing the fun back into all this, talk about how you're doing that and what that's actually going to mean for these studios
2: yes so um, you know again a, a lot of the platforms and, and I think discord is perhaps one of them it's a little bit techy uh, I I know you guys are fluent in it and I know that you know give it a couple of couple of hours yeah okay it makes sense but a lot of people are scared off by it and there are a lot of gamers that are are not in the sort of gen Z bracket anymore you know they they've grown up you know they're're they're 45 they're 55 they're 65 etc people are playing these games because they were there in the 1970s, 1980s. So you know we, we're trying to make something uh, accessible, fun, uh, you know, bringing the fun back, and also having a huge dose of um, you know high visibility, brandable graphics. So if you create a profile on Space on Space Story, you can have a very cool, um, rich user profile. So you can have your header. You can have you can break down all your places. So okay, I, I like Elden Ring. I love running, I love cooking or whatever, whatever your interests are. I love cosplay. You can break all these down. You can post into all these places and, and all of them have their own look and feel. So again, we're trying to bring the fun back. That was from the MySpace days in order to create something new and innovative. It's actually genuinely fun to use. You know, and it's, it's not bogged down by the same old bios, which, which happens on all platforms, which are just tired, to be honest, you know, they're just not very inventive.
1: I feel so old in the fact that now we're looking at MySpace and going, we're going to bring back, you know, the fun (laughs) that was in that platform. And I'm like, oh, my God, that was so long ago. (laughs) So long ago. We see, I mean, these are the same cycles that that folks like you and I have seen for years. It's like, you know, we go through like when mobile first came out. Like you were saying, initially, you didn't need a publisher to go on mobile. You could put it on iTunes directly That's for right. 500 bucks, as long as you had a Mac. Yeah. And then it got to the point where, okay, yes, you have to have a publisher because otherwise you weren't going to stand out from the crowd. And we see these, these cycles come and go and come and go. And the fact that now we're now in one with, you know, community management and, and building these big online commuters and we're going back and we're referencing myspace that's like i i,
2: I love it but i feel old now yes i know well we, we all know that things come in full circle so uh, yeah it's just time to it's just the time of, it's just the cycle coming back and uh i'm sure it'll happen again in 10 15 20 years so
1: when developers are going and they're creating these places mm-hmm. One of the concerns is always going to be: what if somebody gets in there and makes one for my game before I do? And you know, how are you working to prevent that and make sure that you've got you know official sources from the, the developers themselves?
2: That's a, that's a great question. Okay, yeah. To to, to answer that, uh, literally, people just go to the site, place that world, click create. They can, they can fill in the space details, all their place details. And then th- there's a point of verification. So it simply says, look, that's great. Thank you very much. We'll get back to you in a few hours time. And that's when we do a little bit of digging to make sure that the email matches up, you know, we, we check that the, um, that there's nothing weird going on, you know, we basically we're, we're looking for an identity, identity, exactly as you are saying. And if we get that, we're quite happy to proceed and then we'll hit the button, they receive further. Uh, email instructions and they, then they can upload all their graphics and it goes live so we do have a very light curation gate in order to stop what you're saying and and again that, that's just for everyone's sake like we i could make it a free-for-all but i think it would be a mess in no time so i think this light curation just a few hours wait is, is worth it because we can weed out any bad actors in this time Yeah, I mean the fact that there's a level of moderation in
1: there, and it's not completely one hundred percent free for all. Yes, you're right. That that is extremely good. So if you're out there, you're listening. If you're on the Discord, you know, once again, now that we've discovered that there's a chat room inside the Discord, I mean the inside the voice option. If you got a question about communities or marketing, pop them in here, and you know we'll get them answered. So going back to the publishing aspect of it. Aside from getting that community straight, you know yes. what is one of the things that indie devs, especially on mobile, need to be doing to prioritize marketing day one for their
2: game? I, I think it's they need to be it's, it's very, very hard being objective when you're making your own game or you know you're part of a small studio making a game if you've invested loads of time and you're all on it together, it's very hard to step back and say, actually, my my graphics could be a little bit better or, you know what, my whole level design, it it sucks. It, it, it's actually really so difficult to step back. We've all done it. I've done it, you know, and step back and say, actually, that's just not good enough. And at that time, if if you can do that, then it's time to team up with someone uh, better, maybe bring in, you know, more uh, uh more a, a, a more skilled individual, or go to a publisher and say, Hey, I, I've got this. What do you think? Can you evaluate it for me? Personally, I would tout it around all the publishers and then try and work out, you know, what offer will you get? Will it Will it? Will it be any kind of MG? I think again, it depends how, how good the game is, how, how good your presentation is. It's the whole package, there's a whole X factor, or you might get some very valuable feedback, maybe two publishers to say. Hey, you know what? You you haven't got any sound, you know, but really, sound and music, it makes up half the game. And, And maybe you missed it. Maybe you got some very primitive sound effects. And, you know, from that feedback alone, it's like going to a VC, use them as a sounding board. And if they say the same thing, more than two of them, that's definitely something that you need to fix. But, you know, from the get go, in terms of marketing, I would say start building communities online. So, as many places as possible, just start spinning things up. Yes, you may you may have to repurpose your videos, et cetera. But there's things like uh Canva, CapCut. there's all kinds of tools that will automate that process. But as long as you've got a steady trickle, you can start creating a fan base. So don't leave it too late. Don't leave it, don't leave it until the end. Because because many, many uh, potential purchasers, they want to see the journey. They want to see how the art has evolved. They they want to get a clip of a level. You know, they they, they want to see behind the scenes. That's what that's what that's what users want to see because they become your fans. They become your advocates. So you want those on board as soon as possible. So when you've got the bare minimum, even if it's a concept on a, on a, on a, on a piece of paper, I would say put it up there on social. You know, create Twitter, Reddit, create a space. Just, just, just go for it from the beginning. But then at some stage, reach out to the publishers.
1: And there's so many, I mean, we talked about consolidation in the industry, and we did hit a point where there was a consolidation. Now, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, we track 500 some publishers. That wow, list. really? Isn't I? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Well, it, but that's the thing, it's, it's actually gone down in the last year. I think last year, our list was somewhere between 600 and 700. And this year, when we did, you know, the the list, and mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, you can just go to inthegame.business and... Download the list of publishers. So if you're pitching, there you go. But it had, I don't know that it was as much consolidation as it was people just going out of business. That makes the, sense. Yeah. Because now we're sitting at between 500 or 600, but still the majority of those are mm-hmm. mobile publishers. Um, and, and that's what makes it so hard now for a lot of these teams to go out and pitch to everybody. The other aspect of it is so many of these publishers want, want the developer to be doing work that they're not set up to do. So you submit it and they're like, well, what's your churn rate? What's your you know, DAUs and MAUs? And if the stats yeah, yeah, aren't yeah. great, they're just like, oh no, we're not gonna look at it. But it's like, yeah.
2: that developer doesn't know how to do this. That's why they need exactly. a publisher. Exactly, and actually that that's something at Chillingo that we never ever did. It was we we would always, um, what's the word? Place decide to place a bet or not. So, you know, if, if a, a game developer comes to us and we would never say, well, how many DAUs? Because it basically it's already it's already a done deal if it's already out there and they want us to take an existing game. That if the, you know if they're doing that, it's already failed. So we'd simply say, well, well, no. So so the best situation is the game's not out. We're part of the journey. The best publishers will have have. Producers, lead producers, head producers, and they give you feedback. Like for Cut the Rope, we we helped to polish that game over a nine-month period. It was a done deal. A lot of work went into it by Chilingo. So, you know, those, th- I would say that my favorite publishers are ones that do that. They actually add value. It could be sound, graphics, level design, sounding board, the, you know, good quality production staff. You know, they can help you to polish what's a a good product into an excellent product. And that makes all the difference. Really, if you can get your head above the water and get into the top 20, then you're going somewhere. But if if you're not really there, then chances are just the big incumbents, the clash of clans are just going to block you out. But still, there's still space for creativity, for invention, for really great original games. That option is still there. So there's always hope. Do you think they should, especially because it is? I mean, it's if you get in the top
1: 200 these days, you're you're getting somewhere because that top 20 it's, God, it's like completely run by three or four different publishers. It seems like. But do you think there's a better space for indie teams on the premium side or on the free to play side or a mix or where does it where does it fall?
2: I I think if you're going to go free to play, you need your game mechanics, you know, your economies, your multiple currencies. The, the the whole analytics platform needs to be there, or you found a publisher that's prepared to go the long haul and plug their platform into yours, into your game. And then you've got a chance. So if you do that, yes, you can go the freemium route and then maybe you'll earn a lot of, a lot of money. Maybe it'll be a hit. But I think if you haven't got that, you're not prepared to do it. Or a lot of developers that we found is they see, and I see it the same way is games are art. So if you start slicing, and dicing, and dissecting games, the, that piece of art is lost. Um, and so what I'm saying is, if, if you're prepared to stand by your guns, you have this amazing product that is a work of art, then we often found that the developers of those games just wanted it left intact. Its integrity left as is. It's purely a one-off download that you paid for, and that was that, without any kind of pollution, without any kind of noise and power-ups and watch this ad and do this and do that now that it takes a lot for a developer to to come out and say it but a lot of indies are actually like that they stand by their guns because games are art it's so i'm sitting here
1: grinning like nobody's business because it's like i agree so wholeheartedly but i think that's why we don't see a lot of indie teams in that free-to-play space right now is Mm -hmm. because it's like they're they feel like that art's been taken out of it because it's all based on statistics and kpis and you know how many people are hitting the top of the funnel and getting through the Mm -hmm. funnel and all kinds of other stuff from the early days at shalingo because y'all were getting getting everything moving at the same time like big fish was doing stuff on the the pc side before they moved to mobile and all those games were Mm -hmm. originally premium too how have you seen you know that art i mean not talk about the graphics but the art in the game design how have you seen that evolve over the last 20 years from where we all started back there in the early iphone days
2: well i think it's the same story really you know those very lucky indie developers that had you know incredible artists you know those games really stood out so we launched one of the first uh, twin stick shooter games called *Idracula*, that had amazing art, and it was really just just an arcade game. But people were like, "Wow, this is amazing! There must be a huge team making this." But the developer, a, a, a Russian developer, I think they were called More Games. I think they're still around, and *Idracula* persists on the PC. There's a new version. You know, their artist is so so talented. But you know, generally, the art to answer your question, the art back then was usually quite primitive and you know over time it's consolidated and then again the, the these team, these indie teams have formed they've joined forces mm-hmm. and then they become more powerful they turn into you know the the studios of the future actually it, it, 11-bit games is another one we published mm-hmm. anomaly i think they probably learned a lot from us and they turned into a publisher themselves but the, their their quality bar is absolutely incredible they release some of the most outstanding games mobile you know for pc on steam and console so you know they're the team that they've created now is really world class it's 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 triple a but but at the same time you know guys, people fresh out of college now could get together and say you know what let's make a gaming studio i've got a great idea i need an artist i'll find an artist i need a musician i'll find them that could be the next big game in the future we just don't know so you know again it always gives me uh Great pleasure to say there's, there's still hope to to, to to really create something amazing. And if you really want to, make a lot of money doing it. But I think you really have to love what you're doing the most. Don't just chase the dollars because you know, <laughs> it, it doesn't tend to work that way. I, I tell students all
1: the time, if you think you're going to get into this industry and get rich – yeah. I have a whole you know <laughs> lecture for you because that's not yeah yes it will happen occasionally but that's not what you you have to absolutely you need to love, love it. this industry and, and yeah. going back to the cycles so it's funny that you mentioned I, Dracula because uh-huh. you know you look at one of the biggest games last year with vampire survivors that is basically a twin stick shooter and the graphics aren't that fantastic i mean you right, could have okay. dropped that game yeah. in the early 90s in something and it it would have fit so we do see yeah, the yeah. cycles come along with the art whether it's the art style or the design or anything else now no offense to the vampire survivors but the, they got they won that bafta <laughs> award for best game design and i was like oh fantastic wait what that's <laughs> there's, there's one of the most I guess you could say it was a very (laughs) tightly done game design because it's not fancy in any ways. You run around and you auto shoot. And you're right. That is one of those scenarios where you can say you can still get two or three, four or five people together coming straight out of school and make something. It's a matter of taking that to the next level and getting it to be successful on the market. And that's where
2: a lot of the challenge comes in, too. Exactly. That's it. And I think if you're talking to a publisher, you know just make sure that you don't give away any rights that you don't want to. So maybe if the game is really good, you're gonna stand by it. You know, don't give away merchandising rights, don't give away porting rights. you know have have a cap on the period that the game can be published for. Have some targets, some metrics. It's so easy to be brainwashed. you know, so easy to think, yes, I've got somebody that I really believe in my game, but actually the piece of paper they send you, it's got all kinds of pitfalls, you know, and I, I, I'm always really wary uh, about that. We, we try to be very fair and say, well, actually, you know what? It, it could be great, but there's a downfall. But actually, you know, if you really want to do it, then I would like the Android rights, and I, I'll be explicit and ask, you know. But there's a lot of things hidden in contracts these days.
1: It's funny that you mentioned that because I just finished recording our newest online class that is going to go in that goes into detail on right how to evaluate your publisher and your contract and it talks about all of that stuff so it's all very fresh cool. in my cool. head right now
2: yes yeah but yeah i mean you, you actually you never know where it's going to go it may blow up so you you want to protect yourself and and make sure you run it for the long haul and things just don't get you know taken away from you
1: it, it's one of those things that i always warn developers about but i see it happen all the time and I, on one level i get it You know they get so excited because there is a publisher interested in in their game, and they will sometimes tend to get tunnel vision at that point. It's like, okay, we have to do this deal, and you step back and you go, "No, no, 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 you really, you really don't want to do that deal, and and here's why. It's one of the hardest things for some of these developers to to face because they've wanted their game to be successful. you know, it's their baby. they've made it. yeah, and they have to face the fact that maybe that publisher isn't the best fit for them regardless of whether
2: or not or how interested they appear to be. Yeah, very true. I mean at the very least just just get just get another opinion, you know, at least one. you know, don't just go with the first one you see. yeah, yeah, definitely but but still, it's an exciting time to be you know, in the gaming industry, things continue to grow. The mobile market is vast, everything is growing. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a pretty good place.
1: So what do you feel is one of the biggest warning signs when it comes to a publisher? Because it's like, you know, yes, we list them all in that in that um, publisher list we have. But we do want you to go and do your own research. What should, What's one of the biggest red flags that you've seen over the years when publishers are approaching indie devs?
2: I think it's very easy to get sucked in, as you said. And what, one of the big red flags would be, and of course there are many, would be if, if the publisher uh, hands you the piece of paper and then says, you know what, I, I need an answer. Um, we, we've got other games in the pipeline, you know, I, I need an answer tomorrow, next week, any kind of deadline I'd say is a bad one because the publisher should be prepared to sit back and actually, uh, have confidence that their offer stands up, you know, to, to, to scrutiny and, and that takes time for, uh, especially an in indie, you know, to maybe talk to a lawyer, to, to discuss it with their family, with, 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 with their with their team, with our studio. It could take a week. It could take more. So don't start badgering the Indian saying, "I need an answer." And if somebody does that, I'd be super, super wary. I'm not saying every time it's going to be a disaster, but just be aware of those, you know, pressurized boiler situations where you go, "Oh my God, I have to make a decision." Um, yeah, because you could you could make the wrong decision. So just be careful. And we've seen. One would
1: think that with all the digitalization of you know with online conferences and we've literally got better access to publishers and developers than we've ever had between mm-hmm. Twitter and Discord and everything else. You would think that it would be quicker to get these deals done, but since the pandemic we've actually seen it takes four months on average. Really wow from the time that a developer sends the time the developer sends a good demo a demo that the publisher is actually going to be able to review yeah. to the time it's it actually signed on paper, it can take easily four months. Ironically, it's actually sometimes to get VC investment than it is to get really a publisher. Yeah. But part of it is because you know publishers are seeing two, three, four thousand games a year, you know, and so it's a matter yeah. of sorting through all of that. But yeah, you're right. You know, when somebody comes in and goes, take it or leave it. Here it is. I need an
2: answer in two or three days that's
1: always a big big,
2: big yeah i'd press. say probably run to the hills i mean i i i would i would probably vet between 10 and 30 games a day I, initially when when we started out i i was i was you know going outbound i was looking for games i was searching forums i was ringing people i even wrote letters when i couldn't find their phone numbers so i was really persistent and i would set the alarm clock and wake up at 3 a.m. Just to sync up with some you know some australians etc but it, it needed to be done but slowly slowly over time i, I we found that Chilingo had a more of a gravitational mass and then people started coming to us and when that happened really at its height it, there there's so so many games but i would do my best at the very least to write a good email back to say you know what this is just not ready for any kind of publisher yet you know what? i think do this this and this some boiler points and, and send it back So I would have, I would say hundreds of email threads backwards and forwards going on all the time. And some developers would send me two or three games over three years. And then on the fourth game, after all this feedback, I wouldn't charge anything for it. I'd just be giving feedback. The, The fourth game, I'd be like, holy shit, this is great. I love this. But because I'd been prepared to invest time previously. The, the developer would say, yeah, yeah, I, I really want to go with you. I, I trust you. Send me the contract, leave them with it. Invariably, 99% of the time, they would say yes to it. But that was built on building a relationship. It, absolutely. And I, I know it worked that way because I, I did it all the time.
1: So for better or worse, you hit on two points in that that are still very true. One, yes, this is all about the relationships. And, and that, you know, going and responding back to those developers I just had a, a woman I talked to yesterday and she sent me an email out of the blue this week. And she's like, I'm just trying to get some feedback on how to start a development studio. And everyone is ignoring me because they don't think I'm serious. And I'm like, yeah. let's talk. We ended up chatting for an hour. and then, But the... <laughs> The fact that you had to write letters to developers that you know you couldn't figure out how to get a hold of. So we do a lot of on the consulting side. We do a lot of scouting for publishers and developers. I am sad to say that that is still very much the case. That is one of the biggest frustrations yeah. is when you find that game online or wherever you saw it, and you can't figure out how to get in touch. We have all these communication platforms now, and some developers. They don't have an email address. They don't have, you know, the DMs <laughs> open on Twitter or yeah, yeah. whatever it may be. And, and it's mm-hmm. one of the, the key reasons when we go and we talk to publishers about scouting for them and they're like, I can't get a hold of the development. Like, we'll take care of that part. We've been, we've been yeah, hunting yeah, people yeah. down in this industry for 25 years. <laughs> it's like, we can, we can handle yep. that aspect of it. But yeah, that part really hasn't changed that much. But it is, it, the relationship aspect of it mm-hmm. That is so important, and so as a developer, when you're first getting started, what do you think are some of the the do's and don'ts of building some of those relationships without completely just harassing the shit out of people in the industry too?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think first of all, just be reasonable. You know, don't don't just create um, a very simple demo that's following some kind of like Unity you know, guide and you've recreated it and then send it to a publisher because, yeah, it is it, wasting their time. And then the second time they, they may not, you know, look at any of your stuff because they might think, oh, it's that same guy, that same girl, and it's just another demo, you know, that they've, that they've taken online. But, you know, so at least, you know, create a, a minimum quality bar that at least you're happy with. But once you've done that, then I think it's okay to send out to a publisher, and then be very matter of fact, because everyone receives so many emails every day. What a publisher does not want to read is you know three pages of text that you have to pick through. You know, so just just bullet points. Say, I'm enclosing my game. I'm from you know uh, Portugal. I've been building games for two years, or not at all. This is my first game. I'd really appreciate some feedback. It, it works. You need to da- you know you need to use it on a test flight to try it. I'll send you a copy. Here's a video, and here's the main bullet points. So, you know, again like you're contacting some kind of funds, just just keep it down to the bullet points. So you might say, I yeah, you know, I've done I've done one level. I, I you know, I need to do better art, I ne- need to source better graphics, I need to, you know, get find a musician, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, have the pluses and and have the negatives, which is the things that you're going to build. And then at least you've sent it out. And actually, you know, what's really satisfying is, you know, down the line, if you hear nothing back, that that publisher, that person reaching out to you to say, "Hey, really, really well done on 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 that game. I'm really sorry that I, I never followed up. That, that's a really good feeling because you did everything you could to engage them, and actually they they didn't get back to you. So you can easily maintain that list. And yeah, by all means, they they should download the list from you guys. You know, and and just you know, you don't need to hit all all five hundred with the same email. Just just cherry pick, you know, say twenty. Stick with twenty where you like the look of the names and You've read the quick bio and you think, yeah, yeah, that's for me. Just start with those 20, send them a few emails and see where it goes. You don't need to go crazy. You can always move on to the next 20, you know, in in the next iteration. But just see what comes back.
1: And we've got a related question here from Jonathan on LinkedIn. Is not it important to also address the unfortunate truth that lots of first-time developers have almost no chance to get a publisher interested? Building a portfolio of successful projects seems high value.
2: Well, without a doubt, if uh, you know a, a developer were to ping me and say, "Hey, we, we've created two hit games before. Would you like to see the our next game?" I'd be like, "Hey, yeah, by all means." You know, I would hold, hold the coffee that morning and dive straight into the game. But it, but it doesn't mean to say that I would ignore, uh, you know, a, a, another game from a, a back bedroom first game developer. It, it simply isn't that way. I, I admit. You're going to move up the queue without doubt. But that that that's simply that's just human nature. You know, I, I think that's unavoidable. So having a portfolio, yes, it adds a lot. And, and actually, if you're if you're a lone developer, you can also send your CV with with even you know artwork from college. I, I've employed people graphic designers where it's simply hung on their portfolio from from effectively what what's a, you know an, a, a high education school. But if you're prepared to take a bet, then you know, with some tuition, with some guidance, they turn into, you know, great, great artists as well. So uh, people will give you a chance. You just need to reach out and also have have that positive mindset. <laughs> the positive mindset is the hard part. In many days in this industry, it, it, but it, it can it, get hard. I, I I agree, but you have to maintain it day on day. And, you know, it's it's a whole secret thing. You don't start thinking I don't want this. Just think what you do want, and and really just see it every day. The uh
1: i agree it's it's not impossible as a first i mean we look at a lot of first-time developer things yes it is much easier if you've had a hit but even if your first game never got seen by anybody and it's something that was on itch.io don't discredit how valuable that is because it's that getting the game to a point where it's actually finished and shippable That last 50% that is so important that so many developers don't make it that way. If you've published anything, you're ahead of a lot of developers in the industry, whether it was successful or not. It's simply showing the fact that I can actually get a game done.
2: Yes, you're right. Yeah, shipping is a really big deal. and Yeah, most developers, they they don't usually uh, attain that status. It's hard to do. I mean, shipping a game is so complex on every level especially if you're a one man band or a small team, you know, it really takes all the energy out of you, but you know, everyone is, 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 seeing the, the end of the rainbow in the distance. And you know, that that's what we're all striving for, trying to create some, something great that you believe in.
1: Great. And having fun while you do it, because that's yeah, the other exactly. thing, the, the day that you get up to work in this industry and you're not enjoying it anymore, go work somewhere where you get a, re- a real paycheck because that's the, that's yeah, the yeah, big yeah. difference. It's it's very much a passion-fueled industry. So, yeah, all yes, right. right, we're wrapping up here. Give us the big plug on Splace. Tell everybody where to go and we'll get, you know, everybody signed up and, and we'll be going on and making new and wonderful communities.
2: Great, thank you. So, yeah, I, I implore all you indie devs out there, studios, uh, uh, gaming companies, go to splace.world, simply create a profile, You've got access immediately to your own profile that you can configure that only you can post into, or you could put posts inside any number of public spaces. And if you don't see the space you want, just click on create and we'll make it for you. So it's super easy. It's something there for everybody and it's highly configurable. There's lots and lots of benefits. And don't forget, if you have a gaming world map, you can email that to me and we'll integrate it inside your space as well. So your users can geolocate onto your gaming world. It's really cool. It's something you should try. I'm,
1: I'm tempted to put Ash up here full of screen because she's got, you know, the cat in the screen with her here. So um I'm not going to do that, Ash. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, thrust you into the limelight. But everybody, Chris, thank you. It's awesome. We're very excited about this. And we're going to put a space up there as well. And so I'm going to probably put Ash on that because... We're gone for three weeks. I'm going to be on vacation, plus I'll be at Indigo or First Playable. So if you'll be at either one of those conferences, stop by, give me a wave, say hi, Um, and then we'll be back. And I think that's it for today. Thanks, everybody. Thank
2: you.